We are in Isaiah chapter 53, talking about an unlikely solace. And I think about, I was looking for something to illustrate, and I saw this picture here of an acacia tree out in the middle of the Serengeti. Reminded me of Sue and I's trip to Africa. We saw scenes like that where that one tree may be all you see for miles and miles and miles, and you certainly can feel alone and uh, uh, out there. We're going to talk about the peace Jesus gives, the solace he gives. We're in Isaiah chapter 53, going to read verses 1 through 5, if you'll follow along with me. Who has believed my message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Join me in prayer. Dear precious Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would open our minds and hearts to your word today, that we would gain new glimpses of his work for us and your work in our lives. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The key phrase that I'm focusing on there is in verse 5, where it says, the punishment that brought us peace. We can have peace today, but that peace came through punishment. That punishment should have been laid on us, but he took it upon himself. And by that, we now can have peace with God. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans 5.1. He said it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Both verses, Isaiah 53.5 and Romans 5.1, relate that before Jesus' redemptive act on our behalf, we were at enmity with God. Enmity means being actively hostile. Enmity is the opposite of peace. We may not see ourselves as actively hostile towards God, but that's how God sees us before Him, before we receive Him. In Matthew 12.30, Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus goes on to say that every sin and slander will be forgiven except for blasphemy against the Spirit. That will not be forgiven. 
denying the Holy Spirit's work, desire, denying God's work in our lives. That is blasphemy. Blasphemy literally means assigning to someone else credit for something done. Whether it's us taking on that credit or thinking it's just good fortune or luck, that can be blasphemy against the Spirit. And that's the unforgivable sin that you've heard about. It is talked about there being a sin that cannot be forgiven, and that's what it is, that rejection of Jesus Christ's work in our lives. So by these verses, including Jesus' own words, our position before God is one of enmity. We were not okay with God. He was not okay with us. But God always loved and loves us still. But because of our sin nature, we weren't at peace with each other. Enmity is our position and peace is the goal that we should seek. We can get to that position of peace, but not through our actions. Not through anything we can accomplish. Not through anything of who we are, but only through the work of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 10.16 tells us, the wages of the righteous is life but the wages of the wicked are sin and death. Isaiah 53 says in verse 4 that we read, He took our pain. And verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. And again, our key verse, the punishment by which we gained peace was laid on Him. Peace came from punishment of sin, but we didn't have to bear that punishment. Or at least those who accept Jesus as their personal Savior do not receive the punishment for sin. But the converse is still true. The result of not having peace with God is still the same. Those who continue to reject Jesus Christ stay in enmity with God. And if they die in their state of enmity, then they will personally suffer the punishment for their sin. Recently this fall, some of us on Tuesday night have been studying the end times. And one of the things, themes that's come through that end time study is how time and time again, God offers another chance. That God offers a time for people to come to Him. That He delays and He delays to issue that final judgment, though He warns us, though He tells us clearly it is coming. Peter wrote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to eternal life. And so He delays His coming so that Those who do not know Him can come to know Him. God is a righteous judge, but God is a patient, loving Father who delays so that we can come to know Him. Peace is that desired result. Peace with God. And another word for peace is solace. Solace is defined as comfort or consolation in a time of distress or sadness. In our condition of sin, we are in distress. 
in our world we face distress. People say, why is this allowed? Why does this happen? And it's the result of sin is why it is here. Sin that God did not bring into the world, that he does not desire to exist. But man, through his free will, has chosen to follow that and it ushered that in. And so we strive to get to that place of peace once again that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God in the garden. And that work comes through Jesus Christ. But I said, our title is an unlikely solace. So what makes this solace unlikely? And to answer why it is unlikely, we need to look at the prophecies regarding Jesus Christ. As early in Scriptures as Genesis 3.15, one was told who would conquer Satan would be coming. 3.15 says, And I will put enmity, there's that word again, between thee, the serpent or Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed, evildoers, and her seed, the Savior. It, he, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That established a battle an enmity between Satan and all his followers and Jesus Christ. An enmity that goes on today. Now that's unlikely enough how that was prophesied that many thousand years ago. But we come again to 2 Samuel verses, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. There God is talking to David who is king. I will set up thy seed after thee. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that establishment of the throne forever tells us that God is prophesying about Jesus Christ and that Jesus would come from the lineage of David or the lineage of Jesse, it says, his father. The events of 2 Samuel took place around 1000 B.C. That's when David was king over Israel. Our passages in Isaiah took place some 300 years later. And Isaiah wrote in 11.1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, Jesse being David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So again, God prophesies through Isaiah that one will be coming out of the lineage of Jesse who will establish a kingdom. These prophecies say that the Messiah will be of the lineage of David, but why is that unlikely? The reason for the unlikeness is because over the course of several hundred years, and really just in a couple of hundred years, the empire of David was divided and ended in ruins. Judah, the tribe of David, was ultimately carried away into exile. The religious scholars of Jesus' day would never believe a kingly Messiah would come from the line of David. The line of David had essentially disappeared. There was no more reign of the family of David. David's line had been completely erased, or so they thought. Surely, they would have thought the prophecy was wrong. The Messiah must surely be of royal origin, or maybe he would be a supernatural king who would come. 
But through those hundreds of years, the line of David did continue, though in obscurity and without prominence. God doesn't make mistakes. If we review chapter 1 of Matthew, you read the genealogy of Jesus, and it begins with Abraham, the father of the Jews, establishing how Jesus was a Jew. It continues on through King David, and it culminates in Joseph, Mary's husband, who was the father on earth of Jesus. This genealogy establishes that Jesus is in the line of Jesse, as was prophesied, and more than that, that Jesus was father of the Jews, was of the father of the Jews, Abraham. We have an unlikely, miraculous Messiah who was born to bring us peace. For hundreds of years, the nation of Israel had been and was in Jesus' time dominated by world powers. There were the Babylonians, the Mede-Persians, the Greeks, and finally the Romans. No nation in history has ever been restored from such a complete eradication. But God maintained a remnant of His people. A result of that domination was that the line of David's reign was ended, was erased, But despite that, God remembered His promise to David and He tapped Joseph of the line of Jesse to be that earthly father of Jesus. So against all expectations, the Messiah was born in the house of David. Surely Satan thought he had defeated God's plan of a Savior that would come from a woman who would be the God-man. Against all odds, Jesus was born, and by His death, He secured peace for man with God in heaven. Like many concepts, peace means different things to different people. And at different times in one's own life, peace can take different meanings and definitions. Peace is generally seen and defined as the non-existence of trouble or turmoil. We think of peace as not having any problems for us or anybody. We define peace as a cessation of problems. I like that idea of peace. I like it when I don't have problems or difficulties to deal with. But that peace never comes. In fact, Jesus tells us that kind of peace will never happen. He says that trouble will increase as we live for Him and especially as we approach those last days. So again, what gives? Is God wrong or worse? Is God deceiving us? But I assure you, He's not an heir. And He's not lying. As I grow older, I realize trouble's here to stay. But rather than seek my comfort, a life of ease, and no hassle, what grows in value to me is that relationship with God. That sure knowledge that when that last breath comes, that I will be ushered into the presence of Almighty God. But more than that, to know that I'm walking within His light. Not perfectly, I'm still growing. I'm still learning to take on the things of God, but I'm walking with Him 
in his light and that gives me peace. I have that peace and assurance that he is with me, that he abides within me. I value being at peace with God and knowing he's at peace with me instead of obsessing about a comfortable house, car, or church, or instead of seeking fame and fortune, I sleep well at night knowing that God and I are at peace. Having the peace of God means I can trust Him to supply my needs. Knowing I'm at peace with God means I can give to others without fear of personal want. Being at peace with God means I can focus on pleasing Him and not striving for the approval of others. That is the peace of God that passes understanding. I have that peace because an unlikely child was born to Joseph and Mary. And that child came not to take all the trouble out of the world. That day is coming. We have that promise in Revelation that there will be no more tears or sorrow. But He didn't come at this time for that kind of peace. The astute disciple of God learns how God talks and learns to understand what is of value and important to God. And what is meaningful to God is that we have personal peace with Him as our Savior, Lord, and Father. With such an unlikely, merciful, gracious God, how can we not give Him praise, glory, and honor? How can we not give our lives completely over to Him and for Him who gave all of for us? As we try to decide what gifts to give our friends, families, and loved ones this Christmas season, it would behoove us to take time to say, God, what would you have me give you? What is it you want? We can know on the surface He wants our love. He wants our dedication. He wants our surrender. That's what He wants for each and every one. That's what He wants for people across the whole earth. But then, God is a personal God. He deals with us uniquely, directly, individually. And so we should take that time in prayer, in meditation, in reading His Word to say, God, what is it You need me to give You today? What is it You need me to let go of, to surrender? Where is it You need me to step out and go? What is it I can give You, Lord, today to show my love for You, to show my appreciation? That is a question we come to this holiday season and every day, really. We have that peace. We have that strength of assurance. We have that knowledge that we are in the palm of His hands and no man can pluck us out because an unlikely occurrence came and a child was born against all events of the world and that child came and took our punishment so that we might have peace. 
Would you stand with me as I pray and Mark's going to come lead us in our closing song. Our most precious Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us today that you would give us an extra insight into the peace we can have that we can stop striving for the things we chase in life and strive for you. That we can give up those drives because we know that you will give us every good and perfect gift. That we can rest ourselves in you because we know that you hold us in the palm of your hand. That we can pray for those who are ill or close to the point of death that you would be present with them, giving them a peace that passes understanding of what they're going through, especially, Lord, when they know you as Savior and Lord, and they know that soon they'll be ushered into your presence. Lord, help us to embrace that peace. Yes, we pray for peace in Israel. We pray for a cessation of the, of the fighting. We pray for a cessation of the atrocities committed against the children and women and everyone over there. We pray that they could get along and live side by side in safety, not fearing for their lives. Lord, we pray that you would take the corruption from our city streets, both here in Campbellsburg and in cities like Louisville, we pray that you would bring righteous actions to those leaders in our government, that they would do what is necessary to care for the people they represent. Lord, we pray for that peace to come. But Father, help us to seek that personal, individual peace that we can have through Jesus Christ, your Son. And knowing that, we can face any trial. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you gave us. It is because of Jesus Christ that we stand and pray. Amen.